open minds, open hearts, following an open Bible. I hope that each of you, as you have gathered here this morning, has in your mind a desire to let God's Word direct what we will say and what we will do. And as we have been studying for three weeks now the theme, God give us Christian homes, I hope we will focus our minds on desiring what God desires for us. The passage that Brother Josh just read for us a few moments ago from Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, I want to draw attention to a phrase there in the latter part of verse 15. Therefore, he says to them, he says, he seeks a godly offspring. God seeks a godly offspring. God wants your home to be a place where children can grow up, learn the truth, and then go out and establish their home to be a Christian home. This doesn't happen by accident. There has to be some planning. There has to be some thought. There has to be something that is conscious in our mind that says, we and our family are going to make choices, good choices, that will help our family to be what it ought to be. There's some great Old Testament passages that show us some serious failures in the lives of the various people with whom we will study. This morning, our focus is going to be on some particular passages from the historical books that are found in our Bibles, beginning with the book of Joshua, going through the book of Nehemiah and Esther. We're not going to look at all of those, but that's where we're going to look at some truths to be found there. This morning, we're going to see failures but the truth is, is it's better to learn from the mistakes of others than to make them ourselves. You know, going through life, I think most of us have observed people making mistakes and say, I don't want to make those mistakes. I've seen people do things which was incredibly stupid. I've seen them in, in have to endure the consequences of making bad decisions. I don't want to make those decisions. I don't want to have to endure those consequences. And so this morning, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at, first of all, the failure of parenting, particularly in the life of Eli. Then we're going to talk about the failure in faithfulness, looking specifically at the life of David. And then we're going to look at the failure in marriage, looking at the children of Israel as they return from the captivity in the book of Ezra. So let's take our Bibles, let's open them, let's learn from them, and let's make sure that we find a way that God can give us Christian homes. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1, going through chapter 3. I know many of you are familiar with that. Chapter 1 is primarily the discussion of the birth of Samuel. But when we get to chapters 2 and 3, we learn about Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And we learn a little bit about the way they were reared. They followed their father professionally, but not spiritually. In fact, many of us will notice in life that quite often 
a child will follow their parent in their chosen form of employment. Maybe, for instance, if a man is a farmer, his son will then grow up and be a farmer. Occasionally, sometimes, if a man is a preacher, his son will go up and be a preacher. In the Bible, the priesthood was something that was from generation to generation. And Eli was a priest to God, and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were following their father in his footsteps of being priest. However, they were not of the same character and nature as he. We learn that they were involved in a spiritual and a moral corruption. They just were not good young men. In fact, if you go to chapter 2 and look with me at verses 12 through 17. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when a man offered a sacrifice, a priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. And then he would thrust it in the pan, the kettle of the cauldron, or the pot, and the priest would take up for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. I don't think that's very difficult to understand. While the meat was boiling, the flesh hook would just pull up just a portion of the meat. But that was what was designated for the priest. However, if you notice about his sons, what takes place in verses 15 through 17, also before they burn the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give me the meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you but raw. And if the man said to him they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he would then answer him, no, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. You learn that these young men are so greedy now that they don't want just what the flesh hook brings up. They want the whole thing, and they want it raw. The people who were going to offer the sacrifice says, that's just not right. At least the fat was to be burned before the Lord. No, no, no. We're going to take it if we have to by force. Why did they do that? Number one, they didn't know the Lord. They didn't respect him. Number two, they abhorred the sacrifice. It was a job to them. All they were interested in was what they were going to get out of it. But you keep reading chapter 2, verse 22 through 24. Now Eli was very old and he, he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear that your dealings from all the people know my sons. It is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. What we learn here is not only did Eli's sons conduct themselves deplorably, even to the point of having relations with the women at the door of the temple or the tabernacle, 
But these young men, Eli knew about it. He knew what they were doing, and he said, boys, you're not doing what's right. But we learn that Eli was guilty by participation. You go to chapter 2, verse 29, and it says, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, now listen carefully, and honor your sons more than me? to make yourselves fat with all the best of the offerings of Israel, my people. God looks at Eli and says, Eli, here's your fault. You put your sons before me. What you are doing is you are justifying them rather than what is right. Chapter 3, verse 13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever and the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Here's the lesson. Here's the moral of this part of the scripture. If parents do not restrain their children's behavior while they are young they're going to grow up and they're going to be people who will not respect God and they'll not respect the worship of God in fact on Friday I was reading a little article about a man who was on death row this man was waiting to be executed to go down the hall and to be put in the electric chair and he asked for one of his last things, an ability to have a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen so that he could write a note to his mother. And the note that he wrote said this. He said, Mom, if justice were true, there'd be two electric chairs at the end of this hall, one for you and one for me. He said, because when I was a little boy and I stole from my brother... You said, it's no big deal, don't let him, don't worry about it. He went on to talk as he got a little bit older, how he stole from his cousin, how he stole from his neighbors, how he lied and how he cheated. And every time his mother would come in and defend him and say, oh, no, 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 don't worry, little Johnny's not bad. And he said, and when I was arrested the first time, you came and you took up for me. And he said, the truth is, you train me to be who I am. And sure, I am guilty for what I've done. And yes, as I go to the electric chair, I get what I deserve. He said, but mom, you deserve it too. Too many times, if we want Christian homes, we as parents are going to have to look and say, this is right and this is wrong. God made provision for dealing with rebellious children. His provision was, first of all, to teach them while they're young, to talk about his word while they walked in the way, while they sat. You see, God wanted children taught the truth. But what if a child grows up and becomes rebellious and says, I won't do what is right? Deuteronomy chapter 21 said, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of the city 
to the gate of the city, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death. Wow. But you see, God wanted there to be godly people among them. So he made provisions. You want to prevent it if you can. And if you can't prevent it, you've got to stop it. When you look at Eli, you see the failure of a father because he didn't learn. Now, I'm going to tell you the sad follow-up to that. If you'll remember, Samuel was born to Hannah and Elkanah. And there was prayer for him to be something that God would be able to use. And so he was taken to live with Eli, to be raised there in the tabernacle of the Lord. And Samuel learned a lot of things. One thing he learned wrong was the same thing that Eli did for his sons. In 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 through 5, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, perverted justice. You see, what took place is Samuel didn't raise his sons just like Eli did not raise his sons properly. Like the gardener who must weed his garden while that tender plant is growing. He has to continue to weed it until that plant grows enough that it can survive on its own. Parents are just like that. We have to take and pull the evil out of our children's lives so that if we are going to have Christian homes, and I'll say this, fathers and mothers, it's time for us to step up and be the parents in the home and to make sure that we're guiding our children the right way and insisting on what is right. Number two, failure in faithfulness. If you'll turn with me now to 2 Samuel chapter 11, one of the saddest chapters in the life of the children of Israel. God had chosen a man after his own heart, handpicked this person to be the second king of Israel. And God chose David to lead his people. David had promise. David had potential. But even spiritual people can find themselves being entrapped by sin and David did so. There's a number of mistakes that were made by David recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. But as you read it, you will notice that it's the time of year when the kings go out to battle. It's the spring of the year. And it says that David had sent out his army. But verse 2, it happened one evening. While David arose from the bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful to behold. David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. She came to him and he lay with her. You see what happened is then she was with child. 
What is so sad is that David, rather than owning up to his mistake, tried to hide it and tried to cover it. And here's a, a fact, here's a moral. When we make mistakes, and we all will make mistakes, the best thing to do is to recognize immediately our mistake and say, I was wrong, I'm sorry for what I have done, let me make every effort to correct it. But David did not say he was wrong. David made every effort to cover it. And Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You see, mercy can be, forgive, be extended to someone if a person is genuinely penitent. But when you try to hide, you try to conceal, then you find a person who's no longer uh, demonstrating a penitence of heart. David described this condition in the book of Psalms chapter 32, just looking at verses 3 through 5. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see what David did? He said, I tried to hide, I tried to hide, and he said, guilt was eating me up. God's pressure was upon him. But when I repented, when I acknowledged my sin, he said, then God was willing to forgive what David did was he destroyed a family, not just one family. David destroyed the family of Bathsheba and Uriah. There was a home ready to, to start and to, to grow and to flourish. That home was destroyed. David also destroyed his own home, as we will see in just a moment. In doing so, he both embarrassed himself and embarrassed God. In Genesis chapter 39, as Joseph was being tempted to commit a similar sin, Joseph refused. And in his refusal, he said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? David, in his failure of faithfulness to be a good father, to be a good husband, embarrassed God by what he did. And then you go to 2 Samuel 11, verse 27, and it talks about the mourning because of the death of the child. And it says that she, that is Bathsheba, became his wife and she bore him a son. But Samuel adds, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God's not happy when we turn and we're unfaithful in our homes. And I think sometimes we fail to see the damage that is done, not only present, but in the future. As you look there, Uriah is dead. Bathsheba is now not only uh, been taken to be another man's wife, she's lost a child. And you can see the, the heart and the hurt that's in the family, but look and see what happens after this. 
you go to chapter 13, look at verses 21 and 22. David had children, one named Amnon, and Amnon saw his half-sister Tamar, and he says, you know, I would like to have my sister. She was also the full sister of Absalom. And what Amnon did was to take her, rape her, and then thrust her out, threw out the door and shut the door behind her. Where did Amnon learn such vile behavior? Well, some of it was at the instigation of one of his friends, but evidently he had seen poor example live before him. You get to verses 21 and 22, when King David heard all these things, he was very angry. David, how can you be angry? You committed a sin right in front of your son. Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he forced his sister Tamar. Now there's conflict within the family, but it doesn't stop there. If you keep going to chapter 16, you realize that Absalom kills Amnon. There's death in the family, more heartache, more sadness that follows. Absalom then takes the throne away from David. And you see even a worse picture develop. Chapter 16, verses 20 through 22, Ahithophel gave him some advice of what he should do. And he says, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are whored by your father. And then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the side of all Israel. <coughs> Folks, this is just getting disgusting. But where did it start? There was a failure of faithfulness in the home. And the truth is, marriage is a sacred bond. And those of us who are husbands, those who are wives, have a responsibility to one another to be faithful before God. We learn in Hebrews 13 and verse 4, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. I'm going to tell you something that's a reality. We have way too many folks who are members of the Lord's church, who are not being faithful to their families. And they're not being faithful to the Lord when they're not being faithful to their families. And you may think it only is about you, but it not only affects you, but it's going to affect your children and your children's children for generations to come. Number three, the failure in marriage. God in the very beginning with Israel told them that they were not to intermarry with the people of the lands. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, he said, you shall not make marriage, you shall not, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son or take their daughter for your son for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And so the anger of the Lord was aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. And here's what happened. 
When the returnees came back from the Babylonian captivity, they come back with Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel. And as they came back, here's what they found. The people who had remained in the land had intermarried with the people of the land. But that's not all the story. They had taken their Jewish wives, divorced them, so they could marry these pagan women. If you go to Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Ezra describes the situation very vividly. He said, when these things were done, the leaders came to me said, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Pezzarites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, now listen carefully, so that the holy seed is mixed with the people of the lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers has been foremost in this trespass. What is taking place is no longer is there a holy, pure seed, but now there's intermarriage among them. What that did was to bring some very negative consequences. You can say, well, what's the big deal that they married? Well, get to chapter 13 of Nehemiah. In those days I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah. They spoke according to the language of one or other peoples. So I contended with them and struck them, or cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair. And made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Nehemiah says, This is out of hand. He said, This is this has gone too far. The Holy Seed has been mixed. Where did they learn that? Going all the way back to 1 Kings 11 and verse 2, Solomon did it in front of them. You see, there's a, there's a failure in marriage here. Does it matter who one marries? For those of you young people who are looking for a spouse, you're dating some young man or some young woman, does it matter whom you marry? Some people would say it's not significant. And when you start thinking about that, 1 Kings 16, verse 31, it talks about Ahab, and it says, it became a trivial thing to him that he walked in the sons of sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel. Not only did he walk in the sins of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel. Now, how did that turn out? She brought the worship of Baal into Israel because of that. Look at what happened because of it. Genesis 6 and verse 2 says that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives from themselves of all they cho chose. Some people's idea of who should I marry? The prettiest one I can find. And you know that's, prescription for danger.
Whom should I marry? Someone who loves God and wants to go to heaven. Now here's where I'm bringing the lesson full circle. You go back to Malachi chapter 2 verse 15. And I want you to listen again to that phrase. But did he not make them one? Having the remnant of spirit and why one? He seeks godly offspring. Folks, let me tell you what's going to happen. They're going to come children. And those children, where are they going to go to church? Who are they going to serve? If you've got a husband, you've got a wife who doesn't love God, who doesn't love the Lord, where is this going to end? And what about the lives of those children? Will they be godly? Will they be the kind of people that God wants them to be? Children often suffer because their parents pursue the pleasure. And just think, they often replicate it in their own lives. God give us Christian homes. He's given us the instructions. He's given us the warnings. I realize there are people sometimes who criticize the Bible and say, well, it's irrelevant. It doesn't deal with our modern-day problems. The truth is, the home today is facing the same struggles that it faced in the very beginning. And it is faced throughout history. The answer is, well, we listen to it and learn from it and avoid the mistakes of others. Now, the bottom line for today's lesson is, the Bible has an answer. Be a faithful child of God. And you and your spouse can be godly parents. This morning, I'd like to encourage you, if you're not a Christian, everything is ready for you. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're sorry for your sins, you're ready to make a change in life, why not come forward, sit on the front seat up here, we'll let you state that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then baptize you for the remission of your sins. When that happens, the Lord adds you to his church, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. You are now a faithful Christian, ready to serve God in your home. And here's a reality for some of us. Some of you may be carrying around a burden just like David was. You hadn't confessed it. You've been trying to cover it up. It's been eating you alive, and now it's time for you to say, I need to make a change in my life. I'm a Christian, and I need to start living like a Christian. If you need to respond to the Lord's call today, we're going to sing, Come to Jesus, number 103. Would you come as together we stand and sing?